entrepreneurship, passion, adventure. You are now tuned into the Infinite Nomad podcast, dedicated to teaching you how to build a location-independent business, live the digital nomad lifestyle, and unlock the secrets to traveling the world indefinitely. And now, here is your host, travel guru, Kieran Redmond. Go where you're treated best. Those are the words that prompted Andrew Henderson to set out into the world in 2008 and travel to more than 88 different countries in search of the best options to strategically build a location-independent lifestyle. During Andrew's travels, he's managed to learn priceless tactics along the way that have reduced his global tax rate legally from 43% to 1%. But his achievements are not just limited to locking down tax breaks. He's also obtained multiple second citizenships, and he's managed to increase his wealth by purchasing both personal and investment real estate in five different countries. After a decade of acquiring such invaluable knowledge and know-how, Nomad Capitalist was born, with the goal to help entrepreneurs keep more of their own money, build their freedom lifestyle, and create wealth faster. Whether you're just starting out on your nomadic journey, or you are already a successful location-independent business owner, it's important to think about the bigger picture. Sure, it's awesome to live in the moment, traveling the world, not being tied down to life. But if you want to live this lifestyle for the long term and have your finances grow with you as you move along in your journey, you're going to want to stay tuned because this episode is absolute gold. So without further ado, here's episode number two of the Infinite Nomad podcast with a very special guest, Mr. Andrew Henderson of NomadCapitalist.com. Prepare to have your mind blown. Thank you so much for coming on the show. To say I'm a big fan is kind of an understatement. Um, I've been following nomadcapitalist.com for quite a while. I never was really at a point in my life as an entrepreneur to uh, utilize your services. But as um, my business grew, I started getting more interested in what you had to offer and the plethora of information. I mean, you just you provide so much knowledge and information uh, free of charge on your website. So I'm just really happy to have you on. Well, it's great to be with you. Yeah, happy to talk about it. Happy to dig in. Fantastic. Okay, so I've already given an intro to what you've done, and you've done some big stuff. You've traveled to 88 plus countries. I don't know if that number's grown since you've added that to your website, but you've done a lot of stuff as a as a digital nomad yourself, and you've been in the game for quite a while. Whereas you know, uh, digital nomads still relatively a, a new buzzword. Why don't you tell us a little bit about where you came from, your background, and how nomad capitalists came into existence? I think that this was something that that probably was just preordained. I, mean, I think that uh, there, uh, I almost missed being born in the Cayman Islands. My parents used to vacation down there. And uh, when I was 12 years old, I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, in the United States, which uh, anyone uh, who's from the United States knows that the uh, uh, appropriate response to uh, hearing that is saying, well, I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, you're born in <laughs> Cleveland. Um but uh, I grew up in the United States, and uh, when I was 12, you know, my, my father kind of saw the writing on the wall and saw some of the changes that have been happening now. I think the changes that continue to unfold where um, the country is, uh, is hurting a bit. And uh, the response from the country and from the government, from many of the people, isn't what I think the right response is to get it back on track. And he said, you know, you ought to just go where you're treated best. I mean, you owe it to yourself to go where you're treated best, irrespective of where your parents live or where you're from. And 
it's funny because I always kind of kept that in my back pocket uh, and kept those words in my mind, uh, but never really applied them. I started businesses. I, I basically uh, almost got kicked out of a party school at uh, 19 years old for, for not going to the classes. And uh, I just wanted to be in business. So once I had the clarity of knowing I wasn't going to school, I fully committed to starting a business. I started in the broadcasting industry, uh, doing marketing for um, various people and, and built it up into something. And it, it, it pretty quickly became uh, very profitable and I was paying a lot of tax. And it was about the time that I was just starting to say, well, hey, I have not only am I paying a lot of tax, but I have you know, still leftover money. Let me start traveling which I've always wanted to do as an adult. Um, and it was pretty quickly that I realized, yeah, you know, go where you're treated best. Why is it that, um, you know, interest rates uh, in this part of the world are higher? Um, you know, I was in Ireland, for example, and the bank interest rates were higher than they were in the United States. Why is it that, you know, this works differently here or this seems to be better here? And I, I very quickly realized um, without doing any really formal reading on this or any of the, the theories that have been around for some time, I very quickly realized that um, every part of the world has advantages and have, has disadvantages. And that was, uh, you know, as, as much as I, I thought I was a worldly person and had traveled as a child, um, it came as a little bit of a shock to someone who came from this country that everyone extols as the greatest place that God ever smiled on since the cavemen. That, that this country, the United States, wouldn't be the best for everything. And it turns out I started doing research. It's not really the best for anything. It's not the best for taxes, not the best for banks, not the best for dating, not the best for really anything. Um, and that's not to say it's bad, but it's to say that just merely being born in a place, we all want to think that we're born in the most serendipitous place uh, possible. And, and that wasn't, that's not really true for any of us, let alone myself. Um, and so really, uh, I realized very early on that I could run my business from anywhere. Uh, I started to slowly do that, uh, not as a full, what they would call today a digital nomad, but I started to kind of dip my toe in. Um, I would run the business from, you know, taking a month in China. I would run the business from, you know, going to Europe for a month or going to different places. And I was always coming and going and the business didn't seem to suffer. And eventually there came a time when I was just able to distance myself from everything on the ground in the U.S. and, and just you know, live it full time. And that's when Nomad Capitalist was born, when I wanted to start writing about what I was doing, um, having sold the businesses I started, having fully left the United States, having sold my U.S. assets. And I wanted to write about, hey, what am I going to do with my money now? What am I going to do with my life? What am I going to do on this journey to build more and more um, opportunities for myself all around the world? Because I'd already started to do that. But you know, I wanted to become the full global citizen. I wanted to share that with folks. And that's kind of how it uh, it came into existence, this whole nomad capitalist thing. I think you're a unicorn among what we would call digital nomads. I think many of the digital nomads are winging it. And, you know, there's there's pros and cons to that. But I think they're running so far from the tradition, especially in the Western world, the traditional paths, that they're going the complete opposite direction where they're not thinking about these kind of strategies that you're talking about. They're not thinking about building long-term wealth or even properly doing their taxes. And they're just jumping straight into this life 
lifestyle because they realize like, no, I don't want to graduate college, work at a company. If I'm lucky enough to retire from a company and if I'm lucky enough to have some sort of pension, which, you know, we all know that might as well play the lotto at this point. People are running so far from that traditional path. I think the fact that you have harnessed this kind of intuition of yours into doing this the proper way or what I would consider the proper way of growing a business um, while being a digital nomad and thinking about asset creation and um, legal tax strategies and stuff like that. Do you feel like that's a common thing among digital nomads right now as it's getting bigger and bigger? Well, you know, I remember, you know, being back in 1996, sitting in my basement with my father who was kind of studying, you know, should, should our family at, at that age, when I was 12, 13 years old, should we move somewhere else? And he was kind of on the internet back in the day when it was this bastion of libertarianism. And I remember him saying, you know, it's not going to be this way for long because it's going to reach critical mass and everyone's going to be on. It's just going to mirror the population, which it did not really uh, back in 1995, 96. So I think as nomadism reaches more and more of a critical mass, you're going to see all kinds of different people coming in. Uh, and you're going to see that definition really changed where, you know, my, my editor um, put out a book called World Schooling, where she's really writing to families who want to live this lifestyle. Um, and, and most families probably already have some infrastructure. More married couples are doing it. But I guess the traditional digital nomad that, that people refer to, um, I wouldn't judge them for saying that they, they didn't do it properly. I and mean, I think that getting in is the most important thing. They've taken the most important step, which is the first one. Um, I, I, I guess um, – was able to work location independent from really from day one and, and realized that perhaps a bit earlier than most folks and therefore was able to kind of build a running start. Um, you know, I, I also kind of just grew up in an environment where when we went on vacation, we stayed in hotels and, and my father was in the financial business and we stayed in some pretty nice hotels. So I was never really even accustomed to the idea of a hostel or to backpacking. When I went to China, I you know, stayed in a nice hotel. Um, and so I had to work to do that. And there was never, it's not that I was opposed to the idea of a hostel. It just never really entered my mind and never really knew anybody who did that. So my head start was merely just an indication of where I came from and the fact that um, I always wanted to be in business and I wanted to travel and it wasn't one without the other. So um, I don't think there's a right way or a wrong way to do it. Certainly sometimes jumping into the pot um, and, and, or, you know, jumping into the pool and having to learn how to swim, um, you know, is not the worst thing. Um, it's not the way that I did it, but certainly I think that there is something that when I study successful people, there's a difference between successful and less successful people and that successful people understand the gravity of situations. I wouldn't hold it against anyone for not understanding, but I think that once you reach a certain level, you start understanding um, hey, if I say something mean about somebody, they could sue me. Uh, I don't want to do that. Hey, uh, you know, if I publish uh, someone else's pictures or content on my website, they could sue me. I don't, don't want to lose all my money. Hey, um, you know, if I don't pay my taxes, something bad's going to happen. And I think that you don't realize those things until you've gotten to a certain point. So, you know, I think it's just a matter of figuring out for yourself. But certainly having that head start did help me. You're exactly right. You hit the nail on the head there. To, 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 to that point, by the way, I mean, listen, there, there's pro, and forgive me, but there, there's pros and cons to everything. I mean, listen, man, I went to like a party. This is like the number one party school in the world. 
I sat around like studying business books and listening to radio shows and plotting my career in a dorm room. Like my best friends, they are, some of them are still to this day, my best friends from the LDS church. Everyone else was boozing and getting laid and partying and hanging out. I was doing none of those things. So, you know, you know, there's a financial benefit, but you know, there's also, I suppose, benefits to every aspect. There's the social benefit of, um, of saying, hey, we're just going to dive in and figure it out. We'll figure out the financial stuff later. I, I kind of did it the other way. So, I mean, there's benefits to, you know, either approach. Absolutely. And and, and for my listeners, uh, ASU is, uh, for a number of years, was rated number one party school in the U.S. So, uh this was the number one school that everyone from like where I was from in Ohio and I, all these kind of cold states, these Rust Belt states, you know, they'd go because it's like, oh, you know, this is like the perfect excuse to work in their tan and wear short shorts and, you know, go, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's where everyone goes to, to have fun. Uh, not me, not, not your nomad. <laughs> but uh, that, that's why, that, you know, when you, when you want to work with someone who knows how to help you with your money and figuring this kind of stuff out, you know, yeah, maybe that's a good thing, but exactly, I I couldn't agree more to that. And yeah, I think I find myself as an older, well, not older, but you know, somebody who's been a digital nomad for a while now to seeing growth, and I'm I'm super happy about it. Obviously, otherwise I wouldn't be you know doing podcasts and stuff like that because I'm really passionate about it, and it's not my main business. This is a pure passion project, but I find myself getting a little bit worried for my new nomads that come in, and you know they'll they'll come to me for advice and hey, I lost money, I lost this client, I don't know what to do, and stuff like that. You know, a lot of this kind of stuff that you do have to learn on the way, and and you're right, sometimes. Uh, the sink or swim kind of situation is it could be good for certain types of people absolutely so you mentioned taxes and getting sued and all that stuff or you know just not doing your taxes right let's jump into some tax strategies uh for digital nomad well so i'll take one step back as a as a preface to that and and say um you know why i work with six and seven figure people i mean again that's kind of what i've understood my entire life um but what i've learned by being nomadic and by living internationally outside of my home country are lessons that really would have served me in business. I and mean, I did well in uh, several businesses in the United States. I could have done a lot better if I knew the things that I knew now. And it was getting out and meeting people from around the world and learning stuff around the world that really taught me these lessons. One of the lessons was that, um, you know, occasionally someone will find me through, you know, a show like yours and they'll just, they'll find me on a social media, they'll ping me. Hey, you know, I'm paying five grand in tax. You know, if, if for someone in that position, the effort and the costs, if you add it all up and if you figure out what your time is worth and what the cost is actually going to be, what the maintenance is going to be, what the ongoing obligations are, you know, it might just be cheaper for that person to pay the five grand. And the libertarian in me says, no, don't pay the five grand. If you don't have to, just pay zero. Um, but for someone who needs to take some action to get away from paying that five grand, it might be better just to reinvest that time and money into the business to the point where they're then paying 25 grand or 50 grand, and then it makes sense. Um, and so I think it's a matter of, of priorities and, and focusing on the most important thing. And so when guys come to me and they're paying, you know, 80, 100, 200, 500 grand a year, it really starts to hurt, and there's really an inherent motivation to where having a tax strategy actually makes sense, and it's not just a another, oh, well, that would be kind of cool. Because I think that the the, the fear uh, that I have is that some people kind of look at this and say, wouldn't it be cool to have a Seychelles company? It's like there's something sexy about that. 
Um, nobody really is successfully setting up Seychelles companies anymore. Um, but there's something that's like, oh, maybe I should go to the BVI then. And there's this kind of shiny object thing about it. Um, you know, what's the best one for you? I, I guess it's kind of like going to the doctor and saying, my head hurts. What's the best medicine? Um, it, you know, it's based on where you're a citizen. Uh, it's based on um, where you're living. What's your lifestyle? Are you living anywhere full time? Are you spending a substantial amount of time in one place? Um, I think that the number one tax strategy is planning where you're going to be. I see guys who are spending eight, nine months a year in Barcelona. I hope nobody finds out because they should be paying tax in Spain. Um, I see people who get residencies in high tax countries because that's where the cool kids are living. And, and I hope that you know they realize there may be some tax implications there. So the first tax strategy is to plan your life to where you're either living um, all over the place um, or you're living with a base in a territorial or zero tax country. Um, like a Malaysia or a Thailand or a Costa Rica or a Panama, and that you're doing some proper tax planning around that. So before you really dive into the structures, I think you know it's always easy, as with anything else, to look outwards. I think we need to look inwards first and figure out, A, is it worth my time? B, what am I contributing to where how I'm living my life is the first step in the process. Exactly. That makes a lot of sense. And it's not a one size fits all piece of advice. So it's kind of hard to really dial in. I think the majority of my audience is in the space where they're just starting out or they've been doing it for a year or two, and they're not making a substantial amount of money. They're really just sustaining the lifestyle and they're trying to grow. So I think what you just said is perfect for them to think ahead, kind of start planning and thinking about these things. When the time comes, They'll, they'll be aware of it, which is great. That's a good segue into, you know, the types of digital nomads there are. You know, there's remote employees who work for, let's say, a U.S. company, and it's, it's a pretty standard job. But they're obviously living in a place like Thailand. Uh, what, what do they need to keep in mind for, for taxes? I mean, is it just pretty straightforward? They're going to pay their U.S. taxes just like any other U.S. citizen, even if they're living in Thailand for for nine months out of the year? How does that work? Well, here's the interesting thing to take into account. And, and I think a lot of people kind of get confused on this is, you know, where's the source of the income? Um, so, uh, you know, people look at, oh, well, um, you know, I'm a U.S. citizen, so I understand I have to pay taxes. I get this kind of exclusion. What if I just go and do all my work from Thailand? Well, if you're a freelancer, for example, let me just, just, just make an example and I'll come back to your employee example. If you're a freelancer and you're a U.S. citizen, you work in Thailand, you have no company, you're not an employee of any foreign company, uh, even if it's your own, uh, you are entitled to an exclusion. It's a little over $100,000. Um, now, because you're not an employee of a foreign company, you're still a U.S. citizen, you have to pay Medicare and uh, Social Security tax. You don't get away from all the tax. Um, you still pay about 15%. Um, but that is allowed because the work is being done somewhere else. And so the source of the income is is generally pretty important. Um, people ask me, well, hey, is there any way I can reduce the tax on my U.S. rental property? Well, no, that 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 is by definition U.S. source income. That's like the easiest thing for them to tax. It's property on their soil. They just say, hey, it's here thanks to the magic pixie dust that we've spread. It's you know you're able to make these great investments. Therefore, we're going to tax it. Um, where where we can start to make uh, improvements on the tax front is when the work is being done somewhere else when we're 
selling stuff and then performing the services that we've sold um, in a foreign country. Um, and so if you're working for a uh, for U.S. employer, then it would really depend. If the work is being done, um, you know, you can qualify for an exemption, uh, but it depends on, you know, how the people are paying you. So as an employee, generally, um, what I like to do um, for a number of reasons is have people be contractors. Um, you know, and contractor may not be the best way to have a company. You know, you can't really start a company just as being one contractor performing services for one company. That's not really a company. Um, but you can at least eliminate a lot of the taxes. Um, if you're a U.S. citizen, again, you may not eliminate them all. Um, but really, if I had to look at kind of the order of priority, the number one thing to be is to run your own business and to have control of your own company overseas. Uh, uh, the number two thing would be just to kind of be like a freelancer and controlling your income, receiving it personally. And then after that would be an employee receiving income personally because you may not have as much control over where the source of that income is. Gotcha. That clears a lot up. Which is why some of these guys I talked to, and I had a guy recently who's starting a business, but he still has a, a job. Uh, and he's able to work remotely, but they're like, you know what, we just want to pay you personally. And so um, he was still able to claim an exemption. He was able to claim the $102,000 exemption. Even though he's working for this company, he's living overseas, he gets the exemption. Uh, but again, he's still going to pay Social Security, Medicare tax, 15.3%. Well, in his case, as an employee, 7.65%. Um, and uh, that means that now he can't take a salary from his new company or any salary that he's going to be forced to take is going to be taxed. So being an employee just gives you less control. doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to pay the full boat, um, but it does make it a bit more difficult. Um, now, you, you mentioned um, qualifying for that exemption. How long do you have to reside in a, a country outside of your own? I guess we're talking about uh, U.S. here. How long do you have to reside in Thailand, for example, to, to qualify for that exemption? Well, this is a big difference. And again, this is where I think that what we're finding is, is more and more people are doing this and making money is that the kind of personalized attention really, really works. I mean, the U.S. is different than any other country in the world. Uh, let's talk about the other countries quickly. Uh, for most other countries in the world, um, you can become what's called tax non-resident. If you follow the protocol, which means cutting your ties, limiting your time in the country, could be anywhere to less than six months, less than four months, um, but limiting your time in the country, cutting your ties, and basically demonstrating an intent to not live there, which there's a number of steps that you have to go through to demonstrate that intent. Um, if you can do all that, then you can say, hey, I'm taxed on resident. In some cases, they'll, you can even ask them for a letter that says, yes, you're taxed on resident, and then you're home free. Uh, in countries like Germany, for example, or Austria, that's relatively easy. In the English-speaking countries, it's much more difficult. Those are the folks that I work with because there's a whole process to go through. But once you're out, you're out. Uh, and if you have that letter that says you're taxed on resident, then you're pretty much golden. But what a lot of folks who are non-U.S. citizens are realizing is they need to have some kind of home in order to prove that. Countries like the UK, for example, are kind of starting to say, but where are you going? Well, I'm going nowhere. Banks don't like that. Governments increasingly don't like that. And I think as you have more nomads, people are going to crack down on that on the government level because they need money. And the guy who just goes and lives in 12 different countries in a year doesn't really have any connection to those countries. So what we're finding is for non-U.S. citizens, having a place you can call home um, even if it's not a place you spend a ton of time is a good thing. Having a place where you can build some ties is good. Um, that's for non-U.S. folks. And so, again, it's a bit trickier, but once you're out, you're out. 
Um, on the U.S. side, you're never out. As long as you're a U.S. citizen, you're going to pay. Um, there are ways that you can get this $102,000 exemption. Um, and if you're an entrepreneur, you can control that to where you can pay very little, if, if not zero tax. Um, I paid about 1% globally last year among five or six different countries. Um, but, you know, for the U.S., there is a lot of planning. Uh, generally speaking, if you spend about a month in the U.S. over the course of 12 months, um, you can qualify for that exemption. That's kind of the simple way to do it. Um, so that is, the, you know, there's a, the U.S. actually does have a straightforward way, basically called the physical presence test, where uh, you limit your time in the U.S. to a month. The challenge that I've seen some people come across is that, you know, they have like this nomad cruise, for example. Uh, the days that you need to spend outside of the United States, uh, they don't count days spent in international waters, for example. So if you're on a 14-day nomad cruise, well, now your time in the United States just got limited to two weeks. So there's a lot of these little rules and little kind of gotchas that apply. And then if you want to spend more than a month in the United States, you can get up to four months if you meet a bunch of other more complicated criteria. So uh, it's a thing where my general advice is if you can spend minimal time in your home country, demonstrate an intent to not want to live there, not keep all your money there, for example, not pay your salary there, for example, among other things. Um, then in general, there's a way that you can get out of paying tax. If you're not U.S., out of, out of it entirely. If you are U.S., then with this complicated web of exemptions. Um, but it's becoming trickier and trickier. And I did a video, as I said, called The Nomad Tax Trap. A lot of people just think, I'm just going to leave and not worry about it. And um, there have been some folks that comes back to haunt them. Five years later, you owe us five years of taxes. <laughs> it's a nice little knock on the door. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, this is one thing I've learned, man, is, uh, you know, I, I learned this growing up with a, with a father who was in the financial business, who was a pretty uh, conscientious guy. And I got that. And it's not always the best thing to have. Um, but I like certainty as much as I possibly can. Uh, I never like the thing of just, I'm just going to leave. And what can they possibly do? You know, I learned that growing up that you know, what can they possibly do? A lot. What can possibly go wrong? Something. Um, and uh, I think that we're seeing that more and more now that this nomad thing is catching on and, and people at the tax office understand what it is. Um, they don't like it because, you know, a lot of these countries need money, right? They don't want the money all going out the door because everyone just goes and lives somewhere else. And uh, there have been some court cases where they've come after people and said, you know, you don't really have any connection to any of these other 16 countries which means you probably have the strongest connection to Australia. That means you can pay us. You're, you're dropping a lot of knowledge here and stuff that I didn't know. And I'm sure that my listeners are sitting there with their jaws on the floor too. I mean, this is all, you know, there's, there's a lot of people that I'm sure know this information. Well, maybe not a lot. Like I said, I think you're kind of a unicorn and I think you're providing so much value with this stuff. You know what the scary thing is really, and I'll tell you, and it's very unfortunate. I had this happen to me when I left the U.S. I had one of the great accountant firms who handle all my business stuff in the U.S. I, I've said many times I had a tax return. If you printed it out, it was like a small town phone book. Um, this was a great firm, highly respected firm. And when I left the U.S. for good, I said, hey, you know, make sure that when we file the return, we, I get this, uh, this, uh, this exemption. And they said, well, you don't qualify for that. So what are you talking about? I've been in the U.S. for like two days in the last year. 
and I had to fight them for like a week to get them to be like, all right, fine, you, all right, fine, we agree. Meanwhile, um, you know, all around the world, I talk to tax people. I'm always, you know, meeting new people who are knowledgeable about tax. Whether it's the UK, Australia, Canada, most people don't know what they're talking about. Uh, most people have no knowledge of expat or international stuff. And as my personal U.S. tax attorney always says, he says, you know, Andrew, I focus only on expats. And, um, you know, most of the guys who are just in the U.S., even at a high level, if they're not sure, they just say, no, that's not a good idea. They don't go into research or to try and know it. They just don't focus on expats and anything, you know, oh, income exclusion. Yeah, no, you just don't get that. I would have paid like a lot of money in taxes unnecessarily had I not fought my own accountant for an exemption that I qualified for that they didn't realize I qualified for. I'm not the tax guy. I know a lot of tax guys. I know the best tax guys. And I know really the basics of how this stuff works and what people need to do. But for someone who is a prestigious accounting firm, and this happens all the time, to not know that I, you get an exemption. I've gotten so many refunds for people who file their taxes, overpaid, and we went back and amended it because their accountants didn't take the most basic of exemptions. So unfortunately, it is a problem. And that's where uh, you fill in the gap, which is fantastic. So I want to talk about you talk about having ties to the country and I, your particular country that you're, you were a resident in or are a resident in. Um, and then that's kind of a big deal for tax strategies. And I hate to focus just on the U.S. because I know a lot of my listeners are, you know, global, obviously. But as you get older or as you acquire more money and you start figuring out this whole tax game and you want to hire someone like you, there's other things that you think about, like growing your assets. And how do I do that as a digital nomad? Do I go the traditional route with investing? Uh, that can be a whole nother podcast. Obviously, investing in stocks and all that stuff is just, you know, it's complicated. It's not so straightforward. But what kind of investment or asset building techniques or strategies do you recommend for somebody that's their business is doing relatively well and they're thinking, long term here. Yeah, I mean again my kind of background growing up watching CNBC as a young kid and 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 being in that environment um I am an entrepreneur but I also like to think as an investor and I'm not a um you know winner takes all kind of uh, guy. I like to kind of take a little bit out of my business all the time and and put it into other stuff and have diversity. Um I work with guys who are busy building multi-million dollar companies, things like Amazon stores, Shopify stores, stuff like that, and every single penny goes back in, and that's working for them. That said, I have seen one or two guys get banned from Amazon, and if that was you know, the only $5 million in assets they have was all in this Amazon store that was on paper, and they never actually took any of the profits out, um, you know, that obviously puts a dent in your plans. Um, so what I've always done is, is you know, taking money aside, and I've always run more uh, cash flowing businesses to where I've been able to do this, but take money aside and put it into other assets. Um, you know, I think to start, you want to create cash flow. Real estate is probably the easiest way for the average person, including myself, to go out and do that. There are different ways to do that, but what I like to do is go out and see um, what are the hot emerging markets? What are the next best places that no one's really talking about? I don't want to go to Los Angeles and buy real estate. I don't want to go to Sydney. I don't want to go to London. Everyone's there. Everyone's doing that. You've got a lot of other forces, you know, just a bunch of rich guys who just want to own trophy properties. 
that's not where I want to trust my money because I don't trust that system. Um, where I want to go is the Cambodias, the Georgias, the Montenegros, the places that I think aren't so much on the radar yet have a lot of intrinsic value. Quite frankly, I think where I'm from uh, in Ohio and the United States, there are some markets there with huge cash flow potential uh, that might be, particularly for non-U.S. citizens, a good place to invest if cash flow is the goal, um, because taxes on real estate in the U.S. aren't that high. Um, but I'm looking for real estate deals to get cash flow. Uh, to hold their value. I'm not looking for home runs. I'm looking for cash flow plus mild appreciation. And um, I think that's a good first place to start. From there, you diversify into kind of more of the safe havens, put some gold in a vault, own some raw land somewhere, which is typically not a reportable asset. You can just own it, bank it for a while, keep it for 10, 20, 30 years. Um, you know, some people like to do stocks. That's something that you certainly can do. Um, but I found that taking advantage of opportunities in other countries. Um, that's what this whole nomad thing is about, is seeing what else is out there in the world. And so I think that to just to go back and see everything and then invest in stocks in the United States probably doesn't serve you. Take what you're learning and put it to work. Find the real estate market opportunities. Find where you can buy stuff at a discount. Find how you can get in. And once you have some of that going, then start to get into the safe haven stuff and then rinse and repeat. Fantastic advice. And I want to kind of backtrack a little bit and just say that I was in that boat. Well, not in the boat. I didn't get banned from Amazon, but one of my primary businesses is Amazon. And that's where the bigger money was starting to come in. And I've always been a guy who's not put all my eggs in one basket. I've been on numerous businesses that have failed miserably overnight and it scared me straight and I never wanted to go all in on one thing. I think that that was a great lesson that I learned, you know, as more money came in, as my businesses grew and I was looking to take that cash flow, like you said, and put it in other places and the stock market never really appealed to me. Uh, my best friend, he was writing Paul Tudor Jones when he was like 10. He's, he's one of those guys and I just see the amount of work he puts into it and I said, I can never be that way. Don't have the passion for it. I don't have the energy or the know-how. So I always was looking for different options. Bought property here in the U.S. not too long ago, and I'm kind of getting my feet wet there. When I stumbled onto your website, it was just like, it was so eye-opening. And I think that, again, I, I can't, I can say this ad nauseum. It's so, so glad to have you on here and just kind of reaffirming some of my thoughts. And I think a lot of other things that people have been thinking about, but just really were confused about as a digital nomad, because they're not living a traditional life. So that's that's great information, and, and I'm, I'm always pushing diversification when you get to that point always looking for other places whether that's a different business or like you said looking looking out you're a global citizen so you're going to be looking in different countries look at the trends get your finger on the pulse i, th I think that's fantastic advice and i'm glad you pointed that out i feel like we could have a whole episode just on investing in real estate in different countries because i'm sure you have a wealth of knowledge in that area but i'd like to move forward and talk a little bit about becoming a citizen in a different country you mentioned cutting ties in your, your homeland and and you mentioned growing ties in possibly a different place that's more tax friendly for you or whatever your goals are. So why don't you tell me a little bit about your experience? I think that you've mentioned on your website that you are yourself a citizen of other countries. So can you touch base a little bit on that? Yeah, I, that's as you were speaking, I was thinking, I mean, really, this is a mindset um, I mean, people look at, um, you know, hey, I want to be, I want to live nomadically, or I want to be, you know, digital nomad, or, or, you know, 
I say, you know, nomad capitalist is kind of like the 2.0 version because now you're really thinking about the whole picture. Um, you're thinking about money and you're thinking about lifestyle and you're really um, well aligned. And, um, you know, part of that is, is making the decision that, hey, uh, just as the United States may not be the best place to do um, your banking or to make your investments or to do whatever else, uh, it may or may not be the best country to be a citizen. And so, um, you know, my journey has been to to become a citizen of multiple countries. Uh, it's funny because you look at this as a great way to have options. Uh, I have developed certainly a fondness for some of the places. Um, and the citizenships are, are one thing I, I probably the one thing I, I do uh, play close to the best as to uh, where they are. But I have obtained multiple ones of them and I'm, and I'm doing uh, more as we speak. Um, I think that having citizenships is really the ultimate diversification. And again, it really speaks to the mindset. For me, the strategy of what's the best place to have a company or what's the best this or the best that, that's 20% of it. 80% is what's my mindset? Am I aligned in the right direction? Am I thinking in the right direction? And if you're thinking that I'm just owned by one country, um, then that's not really the true nomad you know, freedom mindset, um, being able to be a citizen of multiple countries and really to choose the best of both, uh, I think is a great option um, for U.S. citizens who have the tax burdens. Um, I had a guy who was making millions of dollars a year trading stocks. Well, trading stocks is in a business. He can't exclude that income, even if he wants to live overseas. So, you know, he really had no choice but to say, you know, I don't think it's fair to pay millions of dollars in taxes to this country. I really don't want to live here. Um, he's going to give up his U.S. citizenship. And I've worked with uh, about half a dozen guys in the last uh, month or two who have been in that boat or who are going through that boat right now. Um, I will tell you, having multiple citizenships is a great feeling. It gives you the feeling of options. And I think that when you have the options, uh, um, you start to think, again, kind of like the successful person, where you start to think a bit more um, holistically as to do I want to be a citizen of my home country? Do I not? For most everybody else outside of the U.S., there's no real reason to give up your citizenship. Maybe some other countries will institute the tax policies the U.S. has. That is possible that Canada or Australia might do that next. Uh, and then Canadians and Australians will need to decide whether they want to keep their citizenship or not. But um, for those of us who are from the U.S., you know, it's an interesting question to ask. Um, you know, if, if I can pay zero dollars in tax two years in a row, totally legally to the U.S., minimal tax before that for the years before that, um, and have one of the world's best passports for travel, should I get rid of it? Well, I mean, um, I evaluate that every year, and uh, it's helped me in, in recent years, uh, last year particularly, uh, with some stuff I was doing in business. Uh, so I decided to hang on to it for a while. Um, it's kind of back to getting in my way now with some business deals that I'm doing and the way I want to structure my business because no one else has a tax system like the U.S., so it, it never really works as well when you try and do lots and lots and lots of stuff overseas. Um, but having the option, I think, is very important. Being able to say, I'm another citizen uh, of another country, and um, tomorrow I could decide I don't want to be a U.S. citizen. Or even if you're, for example, Canadian and Israeli or, you know, Brazilian and Australian, well, now you have double the travel privileges because maybe there's countries that each one can't go to. 
there's certain things that you can do better as a Brazilian or as an Australian or as an Israeli or as a Canadian, and you can use each one as it's most convenient. Um, there's certain benefits in each country. Your future children will have benefits in both countries. Um, so it's not only a good plan B insurance policy, especially for U.S. citizens and other Western citizens on a, on a financial level. Um, I think it's good for identity, for someone like me who never really felt American. And I think it's uh, good just on a general level of being able to choose the best of both worlds. Yeah, I, I couldn't have said it better myself. And yeah, if anything, I mean, you, you scrap all the things you just said, all the benefits, if anything, just having options. I mean, that's exactly, that's what this lifestyle is about. That's what being a nomad is, is having the options. Let me just give you one example. You know, I've seen this, you know, we, we go to places where, you know, People go and they enjoy the dating culture, right? I mean, how many how many guys do I know in the United States who, you know, they 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 have a different mindset than most folks there, and they live in the U.S. and they try and go out and date, and they have a real problem, and it's difficult for them. And I know guys who've gotten really angry about it because they can't seem to find the person who who matches uh, what they're looking for in, for example, the United States. And they get really frustrated because because they just can't find that person. Um, and then you go to places where you have these guys who are you know they're dating five different people a week, and wh whether you agree with that or not, certainly that's a person who knows that they have options. And isn't it funny that you know some of those guys are a little bit obnoxious? But I, I know I know some of those guys. You know they date different people, and uh, you know I'm in a relationship. It's not my thing right now, but um, they don't have the anger. I'll tell you that. Um, I haven't met many of those guys who have the anger because they have the options. Um, I think that there are a lot of people out there uh, who are in places like the United States who feel really frustrated, who in some cases even feel desperate, who if they applied the principles of this nomad lifestyle, they gave themselves more options, um, would feel a lot more comfortable, would feel a lot less angry, would feel a lot less, uh, would feel a lot more happy. Um, and I've seen that happen in my own life where uh, the more options you have, you clear your head of the negativity and you just focus on making really strategic decisions about your life. What do I want? What do I not want? What can I live with? What can I not live with? Um, and having options really is the beginning of all of it. That's what the nomad lifestyle is about. But if you take it one step further, it's the nomad capitalist lifestyle. I love it, Andrew. I, I used to chalk up my frustrations uh, being a U.S. citizen because I always had a cultural identity crisis. And, um, you know, I always would chalk up my love for travel and the desire to see the world because I, I had such thick cultural ties here in the United States. And I never felt like I was American or I guess I would always question what the, the meaning of a traditional uh, American mindset was and you know uh, to each in their own right but I, I agree and I and I think that's one of the biggest draws towards entrepreneurship and for me entrepreneurship and travel were always one and the same I mean it was it was a mean to an end for me I was attracted to entrepreneurship because I wanted the freedom to travel I wanted options and you know for the longest time people were leading me to believe that my lack of commitment to certain things was irresponsible or it was me refusing to take responsibility but that wasn't the case at all i just always had this kind of internal feeling that this, this is the way that i want my life and so of course this lifestyle has appealed to me and then growing as a business owner and an entrepreneur then nomad capitalist philosophy and mindset and all that definitely that's uh, awesome it's fantastic 
we're in this world where judgment is not it, where there's less and less judgment and that's great um it seems like for some folks there's still a judgment on on nationalism and there's still this great identity among um hey i'm from here and if that works for you then that's okay for some folks it doesn't and i think that especially in the u.s which is a culture where anyone can become an american and that's one of the things that that i think is a good thing that that openness to to people from other countries which i it seems is going away but um in some regards but you know what does that make if you're from there it, it literally you know are you an american if you're not a u.s citizen you know, it's an interesting question. I'm sure a lot of people would say that you're you're not. We don't want you anymore. You're not part of us anymore. And so how do you deal with that identity? I think that removing the judgment from the decisions people want to make is a really important thing. Removing the labels, too, uh, more important. Um, I, I, I think that doing this for so many years now has just this has just taken the labels out of my vocabulary. And I just look at things in a totally different way than I would have in the United States or that most people would living in one place. Yeah, I think it allows you to prioritize what's important in your life when you get rid of all that other crap that's just clogging your brain and your mindset. There's more options, yet there's clarity with that. So so what are some of the countries that are advantageous? I'm applying to become a citizen of Ireland because it's really easy for me to do, given my dad. And um, I think a, a, if you have grandparents, which a lot of Americans do, I think it's a really easy route to go for your first country of doing that. You know, you, you've mentioned that you've gone to multiple countries and gotten citizenship for different reasons. And obviously, you're not doing that through lineage. What are some of the strategies you're using? And what are these countries? Well, yeah. Um, so there's four ways to do it. You you have really one of the best situations. I mean, you're basically already an Irish citizen. I mean, your father was. And so, you, you know, by, by descent, you have it. Um, Ireland is probably the best country to get it through lineage. Um, a lot of countries in Europe offer it. Ireland is probably the least bureaucratic. And if you're if you're just the child of of uh, someone who's a citizen, that's pretty easy because you just show the birth certificate and it's like, all right, you already are. When it comes to grandparents, great grandparents, I sometimes caution people against this because I have a friend. I helped him get uh, Italian. It took three years. Um, and there are a few bumps in the road of him just getting the wrong documents and not really knowing kind of the international mindset. Um, but it's just basically what it takes sometimes. I mean, they, they take their time. Uh, you know, I mean, there's, there's, you know, in Poland, um, I was there recently. I mean, they've made it really pretty difficult, um, especially under the new government. I think now they want you to learn Polish. Um, you know, places like Hungary move pretty slowly. So a lot of the countries have provisions. I'm actually helping someone in Bulgaria now that they, we know it's going to take at least two years. Um, so lineage is one way to do it. If you have a parent, then you're probably in great shape. Well, the easiest thing I've helped people with is like their their father was Canadian. Um, that's a great thing, especially for U.S. citizens who maybe don't want to be U.S. citizens because they're they're relatively interchangeable, U.S. and Canada, um, in terms of travel and in terms of privileges in each other's countries. Um, the other options are naturalization. Um, and I've I've done a little bit of that where you just go and, and spend a little bit of time in a country. Um, the historic way was what my parents wanted to do when I was 12, go to New Zealand, hang out full time. And five years later, you become a citizen. There are places um, that you can go, um, you know, Paraguay is widely talked about. I think that the bloom is somewhat off that rose. But Paraguay and Panama are talked about where you spend one day a year there in three years or five years later, you can apply. 
Um, obviously, you need to make sure that the country you're applying to actually honors applications in a reasonable period of time, because merely applying doesn't do anything. Actually getting it, being approved is what does it. Um, but naturalization is one way. Um, one way uh, that that uh, you know I've also gone through and I'm going through for a second time is the uh, economic citizenship process for for those people who are in, are in a hurry. Um, you merely make an investment in a country. Um, and I did that one time in in uh, in Comoros, and now I'm doing it again in in Saint Lucia in uh, in the Caribbean. Um, and um, you know, it's a system where you put money into the economy. They need money to help put people who are unemployed back to work and to help the people in their country. And, um, you know, they figured out a way to do that by taking money from foreigners and in exchange offering something. To me, it's the most honest system that exists if you can afford to do that um, because you are making a contribution, um, perhaps much more of a contribution than someone who would just move to the United States and work for five years would make. Um, and, and you're getting a citizenship and you're able to do so and be relatively free. Um, so those are kind of the main ways that people do it. There are also ways where, for example, Steven Seagal is a president of, or as a uh, citizen of, uh, Russia and Serbia, the president made him, you know, so Vladimir Putin has gone around making a few of these Westerners, uh, Russian citizens by his decree. That's possible in a number of countries. Um, the challenge there is a lot of times there's kind of a, you know, there's kind of a misuse of that by guys. Uh, there's a big thing in Venezuela recently where they found out people were kind of selling that under the table. Um, but uh, if you have some kind of really special skill, like you're an Olympic athlete or you're some kind of renowned person, um, you could be naturalized uh, by the president or by the Congress. So those are generally the ways that it works. Um, I have worked on a lineage process. Uh, I've really worked on, on most of the processes myself. Um, but it's just a matter of, you know, how much money are you willing to invest? What's your timeline? What quality of passport do you want? And are you willing to pay some taxes along the way? So I think we've really touched base on a, a surface level. Uh, these are obviously these things obviously get pretty complex and we're hitting the hour mark. So I kind of want to wrap things up with my audience in mind here. I, I, I know you, you deal with a lot of the six and seven figure people and, and with good reason. I mean, it only makes sense to, to do some of these things when you are at that income level. Keeping these people in mind that are just getting started on their journey or you know, in the thick of things right now, and they're just starting to get a foundation of income or some cash flow coming in, what would you recommend they do to start thinking like a nomad capitalist and start building out a strategy for themselves? Well, again, when someone comes to me and we put together a plan, I say, you know what, we're going to focus on what to do and more importantly on what not to do. And, you know, the traditional model is just to um, try and sell you stuff and then try and jam that square peg in every round hole. So you go to a guy who is a lawyer in Panama and you say, I want a company. Guess what the, the offering of the day is going to be, right? It's going to be a Panama company. He doesn't know about Malta. He doesn't know about the U.S., doesn't really care. His job is to sell you Panama. And in most cases, it's a volume game. You know, any, as many people who want to buy Panama companies, they'll help them. Um, what I say is, you know, do you need it? Um, I have people who come to me who are U.S. citizens who have the tax issues. I had one guy who's a U.S. citizen and a citizen of three other countries, three other good countries, like Canada, the U.K., and Australia, if I recall correctly. I mean, he could get rid of the U.S. and, and barely notice it. Um, 
And I said, well, you know, do you want to stay a U.S. citizen? Yeah, you know what? I don't mind having to do the tax obligations. And I don't have to, you know, I'm cool with that. Um, and, and so for him, he doesn't need a second passport. For someone who's a U.S. citizen who just never wants to give up their U.S. citizenship and, um, you know, they're cool with everything. I mean, maybe they don't need a passport. But if you're just starting out, I think that what would be a good thing to do is to kind of put together, you know, where do you want to be in one year, three years, five years? Um, if you're making enough money to where it makes sense to go out and get some kind of foreign company, go ahead and do that. Um, it, it's really challenging uh, to do that these days if you're not making pretty good money um, because you get the Seychelles company, the Mauritius company, the BVI company. It's hard to open a bank account for those companies uh, that's any good. Um, so it's hard for me to say just you know go out and open any old company. But okay, start to put together a plan for how am I going to reduce my tax? If you want a second passport and you think you need that as, as kind of a plan B, maybe you go out and get a residence permit somewhere where you can spend some time and maybe it doesn't pay off for five or 10 years, but at least you're doing something. Um, for investments, do something, you know, go somewhere, commit to the process. And I'll tell you really, I mean, the, the big thing that's gotten me to commit to the process is when I go somewhere and I talk to someone about an opportunity, I tell myself, I'm going to make a decision on the spot. I do my research ahead of time. I educate myself ahead of time. When I'm talking to a lawyer, whether it's about a passport, a residence, a company, an opportunity, an investment, I'm going to say yes or no when I'm there, and I'm going to make some kind of down payment or some kind of payment to get started because then I'm committed. I think that really the biggest thing that held me back for the longest time was looking at all these different options and saying there's so many shiny objects and there'll always be something available and then one thing would pass me by and then another thing would pass me by and I didn't have the results and finally I just said you know what I'm just going to pay and I'm just going to commit myself because when you pay you commit so if you want a residence go out and talk to some folks and be prepared to say yes or no not let me think about it not let me get back to you, not let me compare 17 options it either works for you or it doesn't and if you go and talk to some lawyer um, be prepared to be a hell yes or be a no and if it's a no then move on and keep looking for the next one but um i think that i mean we've kind of covered what the strategies are the real issue that i see most people struggle with is just doing it um and and what i found is when you put some money in the line now you're committed um that's what's worked for me um so which strategies you need is kind of up to you um, i like to pay one percent tax uh, i like to have second passports i like to have investments um but obviously you could take part of those strategies and adapt the others Great, great. I think it's safe to say that uh, for people that are wanting to dig a little deeper into this stuff or find out which particular strategies they're ready for, you're going to want to go visit Andrew's website, nomadcapitalist.com. There's, I think, 1,200 plus blog posts. You give away a lot of free information on there to mention the videos that you post um, as well. My readers should definitely go there. Obviously, it's going to be in the resources below in, in the blog post. Andrew, I, I, I want to thank you again uh, so much for coming on the show today. You're super organized with this process. I've learned a lot and I hope that my readers have a lot of takeaways to start planning this kind of lifestyle because really thinking this way does open your mind up to the bigger picture of becoming a, a very successful digital nomad and just sustaining this lifestyle for the long term. And if your goal is to be a digital nomad, you should be thinking about some of this stuff. What are the best ways to get a hold of you? 
Yeah, I do think that's the next step is just making sure that you're in compliance and making sure that you're growing and, and that you're staying out of the fire. Um, NomadCapitalist.com is, is, as you said, um, the best place to go. Uh, we've got a lot of content. It's, it's always uh, funny. Occasionally, I'll, I'll Google something uh, like, oh, like what's uh, the lowest capital gains tax in Europe? And like, we'll be number one for it. And it's like, ah, I have to read my own article now. Um, but um, yeah, that's really the best place to start is the website. And what I tell people is, um, you know, if if you're if you're in the boat of that six or seven figure entrepreneur and you need the passport, you need the tax plan, you need the investment plan. I, I think that they all really need to work together, um, one, two, or three parts, whichever ones you need. If you need that, then we have a whole process to um, getting in touch with me. Just click on the button at the top, uh, work with Andrew. But um, um, if you're just kind of diving in and you're not sure what you need, you're not convinced if I need a second passport, you're not sure what to do on taxes, just go and read the blogs and start diving in and uh, start exploring. And, uh, you know, 95% of the stuff that we, uh, we do is free. Um, see if you need it. See what you need, see what you feel comfortable with, see what resonates with you. And then when you need some help, get in touch with someone, whether that's me or somebody else, um, and make it happen. So I'm really all for, you know, doing the work, doing the research, getting as much as I can in advance. And then when I need to make a decision, just getting it done and getting it over with and getting back to uh, the beach. And, and some of the people that I know are going to listen to this podcast are in that seven figure category. So you know who I'm referring to. If you're listening to this, I definitely recommend hitting him up. You know who you are. Yeah, you know who you are. Great having you on. I'm really excited to uh, push this out there and uh, get some people uh, educated. So um, I, I'd like to wrap things up with, with a quick outro, which will cover some of the different resources available. And best of luck to you in the future, Andrew, and I hope to be in touch with you soon. Hey, man, great to be with you and uh, keep up the great work. I appreciate it. All right, man. Take care. As always, guys, thank you so much for joining me for today's episode. I'm really stoked about the information that we covered today, and I really hope that you found some awesome value. Andrew Henderson is a pretty great guy. His website, again, nomadcapitalist.com. Please go ahead and give it some love. There's lots of amazing content on there, and I know people say that all the time, but I really feel passionate about that. I'm always on the website digging around in his blog posts. I think he has over 1,200. It's just a really well put together place. If you have any more questions or concerns, if you have questions for me, you can always shoot me a comment on infinitenomad.com. If you want to see the show notes and links to the resources of this episode, it's going to be posted at infinitenomad.com under the podcast. So go ahead and check that out. We keep everything on infinitenomad.com free. And the way you can return the favor if you find some value out of the work that we do is to just share this with the community and get the word out there. You know, there's a lot of crap out there on the internet, especially regarding digital nomadism because it's becoming so popular. It really just helps the community out, helps us out if you pass the word along. Again, thank you so much for joining me. Safe journey, my friends. And remember, travel far and hustle hard. Until next time.